0: You're listening to DevOps and Docker Talk, and I'm your host, Brett Fisher. I'm a DevOps dude, a course creator, and an open source maintainer in the world of container and cloud native DevOps. These episodes are edited down audio only versions of my YouTube live show that you can join every Thursday at brett.live. This podcast is made possible by my Patreon members. I'd like to thank all of you patrons for your continued support. It means a lot. Your podcast player should have the show notes for this episode, including links to the original show on YouTube, topics or tools we might discuss, how to support this show with Patreon, and links to get discount coupons on all my courses. You can always get those notes and links at brettfisher.com. In this episode, I list and compare all the free alternatives to using Docker Desktop for local container dev and test. There are a lot of factors when it comes to trying to replace the dozens of features that Docker Desktop gives you out of the box. If you didn't know, at the end of January 2022, Docker's grace period ended for certain businesses needing to pay for Docker Desktop. So in this episode, I go through a spreadsheet of alternative solutions. I'm trying to maintain that spreadsheet, and I'm receiving detailed feature notes from others that know the various projects in the list better than I do. Now, in case you're still curious about what changed in Docker desktop, let me bring you up to speed. Back in 2021, Docker changed the licensing for Docker desktop and only for Docker desktop, not the underlying Docker engine, CLI, Compose, or any of the other open source. It didn't change any open source licenses. So that's important to know. What they did change was that the Docker desktop product is no longer free for all users. So, for businesses of a certain size, they need to start paying for it, starting at $5 a month per person. At that time, Docker gave everyone a grace period until February 2022 to figure out how they were going to pay for it or if they wanted to come up with an alternative solution. And it turns out that people are paying for it because Docker recently announced on their blog that they have reached $15 million in annual recurring revenue, which is a 400% year over year jump from the previous year. So I'd say that plan is working. And that's great because I want Docker Inc. to stick around and keep making great developer tools. As a reminder, you can still use Docker Desktop for free if you're using it for personal use, education, and learning, like taking my courses, working on non-commercial open source projects. And it's still free if you're in a company under 250 employees and less than 10 million in annual revenue. For those that are in companies larger than that, they need to either pay the $5 per person using it or find an alternative product or solution to solve that local container problem. And that's what this show is about, is not just for people that are in large organizations, but also those of you that are curious about Rancher Desktop and MicroKates and Minikube and all the other things out there that somehow run a container on your local system. And that leads us to this episode where I break down all the alternatives I can think of, and we have some great discussion and chat with people that are bringing in their expertise to tell me all the things I don't know about those other alternatives and how they've grown over the last six months to try to fill the void of open source that Docker Desktop is leaving behind for some people. So please enjoy my breakdown of Docker Desktop Alternatives. All right. We're going to get into some fun stuff today. This is something that I wanted to do all week. I, I thought about it last week. And with the upcoming Docker desktop grace period over, some of us, not me, cause I'm still gonna be loving Docker desktop, but I'm super curious about all the alternatives and what Docker going paid for large companies has spurred in the ecosystem. In September, we did a show, lots of other people did a show all about Docker desktop alternatives. And here we are six months later, What has that done in the open source ecosystem? Because I think, here's a theory, for the last five years or so that we've had Docker Desktop, before that we had Docker Machine, Docker Toolbox, but since we've had Docker Desktop, it's been such a good tool that most people just install it, set it and forget, right? But now that that's not always an option, especially for larger enterprises, what, what has that done in open source? What have other companies created and other projects have shown up? So we're gonna go through a lot of that. We're gonna break it down. I got it all spreadsheeted out. But let's get to the announcements real quick. In case you don't know, the people that sponsor this show are patrons. And you can join me over on patreon.com slash Brett for free. If you would like to support this show with buying me a coffee every month, but you don't have to pay. You can just click the follow and get my emails and notifications about what we're doing on the show. And then, of course, we have the Discord server. Over 8,000 people come chat with us. All DevOps all day long. I'll throw the link in chat. If you're curious, I did a whole trilogy of blog posts on all about DevOps, all about DevOps engineering, all that stuff, right? Go check that stuff out if you haven't read those blog posts and you're curious about becoming DevOps engineer or even auditing yourself and your team to see how DevOpsy you are, if that's even a thing, all right? We've only got a couple of days till till Docker is no longer free for larger enterprises. So let's just search real quick. Docker's got an FAQ on Docker desktop and what it really means. And it is, by the way, if you're taking any of my courses, Docker desktop is still totally free. It's totally free for anyone's use in learning, even on a company computer, absolutely allowed. If you are not with a company and you're just using it for personal use, or you're just using it for open source projects that are not for your company's benefit, like if you're just doing it on the side and or you're just supporting open source, as a part of your job but it's not really for the company's use you're just doing that anyway there's a lot of opportunities including small companies that are you know 10 million a year and 250 employees like as long as you fit into all these models you can still use docker desktop but there might be some other tools that are getting better and better and maybe you want multiple tools different options maybe you want to completely replace docker desktop because you are in a large company and you're forced to change because they're not going to pay docker by the way, I'm a huge fan of paying for software, especially good software, especially when I know the team behind it and I know all the good things that they're doing. And that's Docker. Like, you know, I talk with those people every day almost. And I've obviously being a Docker captain, I'm not obligated to be a super fan, but I am a super fan and I think they make great stuff. But not every tool they make is always going to ever be the best tool for every situation, right? So that's where a lot of this alternative stuff started showing up. We've had stuff like MiniKube, MicroKates, Kind, K3D, K3S, or Keys. Like we've had all these other tools for a long time. But what I'm looking at here today and what we're going to focus on is a local host on your machine, not servers in production, not for testing or automation, but on your machine when you want to run containers in and out of Kubernetes, like just running regular containers without Kubernetes. And then also optionally having Kubernetes and then using all your local host tools, right? Using your editors, using your own browser. Like how how does all of this fit together and how does it work across different platforms? We have so many different platforms now. We used to just have Intel Mac, Intel Windows, and Intel Linux. But now we have ARM across almost all of those and that adds further complications. I'm on an M1, but I have other Intel Macs and I have Windows on Intel, and so I've got a lot of different setups here to figure all this out. The first thing I did was make a spreadsheet. <laughs> so let's go take a look at that. I'll get you all the links so you can look at it. Hey podcast listener. This is where I start showing the Google Sheet on my screen during the YouTube live. Instead of removing this part of the show for the audio podcast, I felt it was best to leave it in. Hopefully it's not too difficult to follow along, but if you need clarification, go check out your podcast show notes and there should be a link to the YouTube episode 156 where you can follow along visually. Now, everybody can comment and I'm looking for comments if you know information that I haven't filled out yet. So I'm not giving it world writable yet, but if you have a lot, if you know a lot about a particular one of these products, then please DM me later, find me on Twitter or email or in Discord or whatever, and I will invite you for writing. But everyone's allowed to comment so if you have insight on a particular feature or a particular product love to hear from you and today nuno which captain corsair you've seen him on the show before has been helping me out all day he's involved with rancher desktop and knows a little bit about it he's also just a constant hacker playing with tools so thank you sir so much for all your support today last minute and helping me fill out this increasingly complex spreadsheet what we're going through is basically every feature that I could think of that I care for local development, DevOps testing and operations on my machine. What is not in the spreadsheet are server side solutions or automated remote solutions. This is really about running on my hardware on a single laptop or desktop. And that might be a Mac M1, it might be Windows 11 using WSL2, it might be Linux on Raspberry Pi, you know, a lot of different scenarios and each one of these tools has varying support. Although I'm, I love seeing the Mac M1. I'm sad that not all of these will be probably supporting Linux ARM yet. I just added this column, by the way, this is total. So this is basically the ranking. (laughs) And in fact, over time, I may sort this to rank. So the more check boxes it checks and there's three different states. There's, it does not work without significant fuddling with things and messing around or yellow which means it does potentially work, but with slight workarounds or limitations or gotchas about that particular feature. And then if it just straight up works with that, it gets the, it gets the checkbox and goes green, right? Gets the thumbs up. All right. Going through here, we start with basics like, does it support Docker only? I'm not interested in solutions that are only for Kubernetes, right? I want it to be able to support at least a Docker-like experience. And Kubernetes can run on the side, but does it at least ha- allow me something like nerd CTL or nerd controls? what I'm going to call it nerd control. We'll get into that more nerd control and things like Podman can sort of simulate the Docker through an alias and, and most commands would then work. Can I get that Docker like experience when I'm using Docker or compose and not needing a full Kubernetes API, right? Does it support Kubernetes? Does it support the Kubernetes load balancer like Docker desktop loves, which I like using the load balancer service type in various scenarios, especially if it runs on local host or on normal ports like port 80443. So I just threw that in there because I care about that myself. Can I choose Kubernetes versions, which Docker desktop still can't do? What is the bind mounting performance of taking my files on my host and putting them into the container? Now in WSL2, we're just going to say everything's in the VM of WSL2, right? Because that's where you get the best performance. But what is it like day-to-day when I'm doing normal development with this type of workload, And does it work as equal across all OS's? And we'll get into that in a little bit where we talk about how something like Minikube work, will work on an M1, but it runs in emulation, so it suffers from performance, right? Then I've got a column that I would love some feedback on. And basically, the memory and CPU utilization, and this is totally relative because how do we all agree that what is a CPU cycle? but what is the minimum resource utilization out of the box without anything running right or maybe we just run a node container or a nginx container and then just measure that right because it's not really doing much in the background but at least a container has launched so that's kind of what i'm interested about because some are more heavyweight than others and some people won't even be able to run it docker desktop back in its hyperv days was known to be quite resource intensive years ago and so that could be a potential negative or pr- might prevent some people from running it compose v2 which is a new thing In the last couple of years, can it support Compose V2? Does it come bundled with Compose V2? Can I use Compose all day long with it? Does it work with VS Code extensions like the Docker and Kubernetes extensions? Obviously, there's tons of other editors, but I'm just focused on VS Code here. Does it have its own GUI manager to do like basic setting changes or turn it on and off or do a reset? Right? Does it have a GUI for that? Does it support QEMU for emulation, which is very important for those of us on Macs because of M1 or anyone who cares about ARM, you're going to be running back and forth. You're running ARM on Intel, you're running Intel on ARM, you're going back and forth and that's an issue. Can I pause it and freeze things relatively easy so that I I don't have to shut the whole app down and I can free up my CPU and battery while I'm at lunch, let's say. Can it support Build Kit out of the box? Does it use VPN or does it support VPN out of the box, which is a big issue for a lot of corporate users? Does it support VPN restricted where if you have certain VPNs like Cisco's, AnyConnect, where it tends to lock down and say that only packets originating from the host IP can go over the VPN, which is a more restrictive VPN. Docker actually had a great blog post on this recently. If you just go to blog... Dot docker.com they talk about all the stuff they're doing un- under the hood in networking so i'll throw that in chat they also have another one right on the blog right after that about docker desktops file handling and what they're doing about performance there they're actually just this week trying to improve mac file system performance with a whole new setup a virtual driver of sorts and so that is still in flux on that side can i be in a container and talk to my host over a consistent name or IP address? Can I just be in a container, but I'm running MySQL on my host machine, maybe because I'm using some sort of fancy GUI or something that is running there and it's listening on a TCP port? If I'm in the container, can I talk back to my host? A lot of people need that setup because they're not able to containerize everything yet and they need their containers to talk back. Does it support the new Windows 11 container GUI? I threw this one in for Corsair. Just a, That was a really sweet demo. By the way, if you're interested more in the new features of Windows 11 and Docker desktop, go back last year, look for the WSL2 videos in this channel. And we talked all about that last year. Uh, lastly, does it, does it support aliasing the Docker CLI for common commands so that you don't have to relearn everything? Does it support your host GPUs for GPU-based workloads? And does it have a built-in CVE scanner for image scanning? This is a lot. There are a lot of things that Docker Desktop has done for us for so many years. This thing obviously has a lot of empty blocks, but the idea is eventually all these blocks are filled out. They have some sort of color in them, and we know whether or not it will work. All right. So now that's the setup. Uh, Biker's talking about pushback, even though we routinely large by large software contracts because they get official support. I had to push them that this was the same thing and a good idea. It is now authorized on a per developer basis, not a universal install. That's, really, that's actually a good win because you do get official support with Docker Desktop from Docker if you buy the license. And again, the license isn't for Docker Desktop, just Docker Desktop. It, the license gets you additional services from Docker, including Docker Hub and more resources more pull limits, all that stuff, right? So it's a bundled package of all things Docker. And we went through that in detail in September. If you go back in this YouTube channel back to September, you can watch a whole video. None of that's really changed. Yeah, for the plugins, is it out of the box experience or able to be added? I mean, bottom line is if it's easy to support or configure something to do one of these these things with one or two commands that are relatively trivial to find on the internet so people can actually get this done, then yeah, let's let's make it let's thumbs up it. It doesn't always have to be magic and automation, but but if it's one of those things where it's a little bit esoteric, it's random to find whether or not that that works, and it's a lot of stuff, <laughs> like sometimes WSL customization can be. I mean, even just getting I think I think it's mini, or maybe it's Podman. I'm trying to remember which one. I think it's MiniCube. Uh, MiniCube inside of a WSL2 native. It was a lot of commands. Well, not a lot, but more than just two. And so I put in here that it supports it, but it's on the edge of like, that's maybe most people won't want to go through that effort, especially teams that want a consistent, easy experience. I don't know. People have some of us that are tinkerers. We are totally cool with all the hacking, but I would say the average person that's just trying to use containers to get things done and they're not watching this show and they don't care that much about containers. It's just a thing that they have to deal with they're probably not going to want some of these painful solutions, right? <laughs> yeah, Nuno saying, please be kind. Uh, it's been modif- created and modified in the last hour. So yeah, we're definitely going to be working on it. Container signing and verifying. Ooh, that's a good one. Near control has support for that by using cosine under the hood. All right. So uh, let's, let's do that. I'm going to add that. I'm going to add that as a new one. All right. Great. If a company is making 10 million per year, they should pay if the company is using the tool. Yeah, exactly. I, that's kind of the thought. And it turns out that Docker was actually right. So they've been quite successful in selling these licenses. There is n- what none of us have seen a mass exodus. There are unique scenarios where people are looking either for personal reasons. I, I just pay the $5 a month or whatever, $3 a month or whatever it is. I paid for the lowest plan individually, and I think it's worth it. In my job, I use containers almost every day, like basically all day. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it's worth it, but not everyone can do that or uses it that much. There are other tools on my system that have a paid option, but I just don't want to pay because I barely use them, right? I, I only use them rarely, so it doesn't make sense for me to keep paying. Podman is also working on a similar effort as far as I know. So yeah, that something we're going to talk about. You, to me, Podman was always just a Linux utility to start containers with, with systemd but it continues to add new functionality. It now can build. And as of very recently, we have some comments in here. Podman can now, Podman machine can now do some things, including installing itself in WSL2 and using backends so that it starts to feel a little bit like a minikube maybe. I haven't had a chance to really dive into it. So that is something I want to check out because it's always been a big barrier for me on Mac and all of my Linux people out there, obviously it works great for you, but most of my customers are Windows or Mac. I mean, almost exclusively Windows or Mac, and they don't want a VM all day long that they have to have a desktop on in order to use GUIs and whatnot for development. So it needs to be something that runs natively from the Mac or Windows machine. And whether it creates a VM, that's doesn't matter. It just matters that you can use all your normal tools on your host and whatever's on your local machine didn't take a day to set up, <laughs> right? So Podman and Minikube actually do that, and that's pretty great. We're going to spend a lot of time talking about Docker Desktop. I'm sorry, uh, Rancher Desktop, not Docker Desktop, but Rancher Desktop, because they have made a huge amount of effort in the last six months. And and you, and you the 1.0 just came out this week, so they're officially launched, rancherdesktop.io. So they're now, uh, yesterday they were live streaming on Twitter, and that was pretty great. They, The team launched 1.0, so now it's GA. And one of the things it now does, as well as working on Apple Silicon, which was, I'm sure, a a huge lift for them and congrats to the team, but also it supports running Docker D or the Docker daemon as the container runtime, which means you can technically now use the Docker CLI on Windows and Mac to talk to that socket and give you a very, very similar experience. What What's next is for me to figure out, does it have BuildKit installed and working by, by default out of the box? What does it do with Docker context? You know, because there's a socket there. Do I have to switch between Docker desktop like we do with Kubernetes where we have to switch our context? How does that work with Docker? And Nuno's actually been helping me try to figure that out so that we can sort of nail down some of those checkboxes and get more of them. Because as you can see, Rancher desktop is kind of tied as a for the number one potential replacement, but some of these things I don't actually have full full information from and I haven't tested. So for example, can I can I port forward all those ports easily through Rancher Desktop from my Mac or Windows machine using localhost? I don't know, actually, uh, Nuno, so <laughs> I'm sure you're going to help me out there. But I haven't tested bind mount performance on any of these things, although I already have my ideas for how I'm going to do that if you all have thoughts about how to test that my biggest test is really going to be doing an NPM install, not necessarily a build, but that, that's another way we could do it. But doing an NPM install for a lot of packages when you're using a bind mount to your host, that's one indicator of a bad performance, right? We can do little writing file sort of experiments, but those are all theoretical. I, I find that it's only slow if in your normal day-to-day work, you do something like an NPM install or you know a PHP package install. And it takes 20 minutes when it used to take two, right? That's a big issue that has been a a consistent ongoing problem with Docker desktop and specific configurations, not all of them, but Docker has in their, to their benefit, they have been working hard on all sorts of different alternative ways in the GUI and trying to find the best solution for all. They've had experiments for years now and, and they've come and gone, right? But For Windows people, it's mostly a solved problem. On Mac, we're still struggling a little bit with performance in larger apps with a lot of dependencies. And a lot of us got workarounds now that, you know, where we mount in a volume for our package files so that it's not slow in in terms of performance of installing packages. But regardless of all that, bind mount performance is a factor for all of these because most of them, you will be using code on your host on Windows and Mac. And using that in a container that's in a VM, right? None of these will run a container, a Docker Linux container on a Mac natively. They all need some sort of VM on a Mac always, as far as I know. There is no Mac type Docker container, right? Or OCI compliant container. On Windows, there's obviously Windows containers, but most people aren't doing that. So in fact, Microsoft themselves, I feel like they're slowly moving away from that by having a Linux SQL server, right? And all those things that they're doing with Linux. And so Windows containers to me are a sort of still a special edge case. I don't include those in here because I don't feel like 99% of the people are doing that. Let's see more comments. Hello, everyone. Sorry if I missed all the, the, the places, Romania, Macedonia, India, Utah. let see, uh, Nuno's throwing a bunch of information. They have a Docker driver now, Minikube. I'll update a blog post on Kubernetes very, very soon. Yeah. So for example, with minikube, it does have a Docker only mode. And I put in a comment about that. So if you, if you're using minikube and you just do a start with no Kubernetes equals true, and the default is still that it's using Docker as the container runtime. It's still doing that. And you can say no Kubernetes and then you essentially get a Docker VM, right? Now, the same thing can be done with. I have this one called MultiPass Plus Things, which means MultiPass is my favorite way to create a VM when I just need a full VM, a full Ubuntu image. It's about a gig, I think, of, in size. It downloads it, it starts it up in seconds. It's super fast. And then from there, I can do things like port forward ports. I can bind mount code. I can shell into it. I can do all the things. It's a little bit more tedious than a. Docker desktop setup, but there's a lot of potential there. Of course, you then get your choice of, you know, keys or mini I'm sorry, micro kates or keys. Those are probably the two Kubernetes distributions that you would use inside of a VM if you had to choose, because those are both lean and efficient keys or K3S is probably the, the, the most efficient, the most lean. It's a single binary, but the point is you have, you have choice there. And the real question is, can we come up with a config there that is a consistent config that works across all the OSs that we can describe to people in a paragraph or two for them to do a setup, right? And I do this now. I install Docker and Kubernetes in multi-pass VMs all the time when I want a multi-node setup. When I want to do Swarm, or I want to do a multi-node Kubernetes cluster, I can do all that in multi-pass. So for me, it has replaced manual virtual box and vagrant completely it has absolutely replaced me for those needs if you don't know about multipass it's multipass.run is the website and it's run by the Ubuntu company canonical so check that out there's other ones down here like kind which kind requires a container to run so does k3d so the just them being on this list means that we acknowledge they exist but they're not really viable solutions here because they th- they then require on Mac and Windows for you to come up with another way to run a container, which is going to be one of these other options that will already have Kubernetes in it. So I don't see where Kind and K3D are really the solution, but they will work on anything that can run a Docker container or a, a regular OCI container. So as far as I know, they'll work just fine, but they're not the solution in this scenario. Vagrant, I'm kind of um, saying here that it's kind of complicated and i don't know of a one liner v- vagrant install that will install virtualbox or hyperkit or whatever you need and also install vagrant and then give you an easy one line vm to create that does the same thing as multipass so if someone can help me out with that i'm i've not paid attention to vagrant for years but with vagrant is there a quick shell script that's that's commonly used or is there a two or three line commands that will get me a vagrant setup that's equal or superior to multipass? I don't know that, so that would be an interesting option here. And then micro case down at the bottom because it's still another great distribution of Kubernetes for l- testing local use. But the the real winner here, I think, so far is Rancher Desktop. And it looks like somebody's already Nuno might have checked another box here. Ooh, the local ho- the localhost thing. Yeah, Nuno, if you throw in a comment there, that would be fantastic. I should have just had you on the show, but that that if that works right out of the box. So for example, if I'm in Rancher on, this is on my Intel Mac. So one of the things is it's not working for me as I'd expect. So if you can see the screen, basically I'm on an Intel Mac with Docker desktop already installed. Then I installed 1.0 Rancher desktop on top of that. And so just like Docker desktop, it has a nice GUI installer. It works on Max, Max, Windows, and Linux, and it installs the command line tools on your your system if you don't have them. One of the challenges for me is I have a lot of these already because of brew, so it won't install over there or swap them out. Now, Docker desktop actually does this. It will symlink its Docker command line, its cube control. When I, I turn on Docker desktop, it will basically symlink and overwrite whatever symlinks I currently have. That way, It's assuming that I want, when it's running, it wants those command lines to talk to it. And I don't think that's happening here. The next thing is I don't have, if I just do a Docker image LS, it tells me that I don't have a socket. So we've got to worry about the Docker context here. So if you don't know about context with Kubernetes and Docker, they work the same way that you you, you can have multiple demons, you can have multiple Kubernetes APIs, you can have multiple Docker demons, you can talk to remote machines, local machines, VMs, whatever. And a lot of times you'll just shift that context, you can see that on my local machine, because I had Docker desktop first, I have multiple different contexts. And it even talks to some cloud stuff, right, and remote stuff there. But what I don't see yet is one for r- Rancher desktop, like we see with Kubernetes. So with Kubernetes. If, if I use the utility cube CTX, I'm going to zoom in by the way, so everybody can see this a little bit easier. If I do a cube CTX, which is an, an add on, which basically does a cube, a cube config, cube control, config context or get context. It shows me all my different contexts and you'll see that rancher desktop creates one Docker desktop creates one. And then the other two I created manually. So one of the things that I'm always looking for is the consistent experience across these different command lines. And Docker being in Rancher Desktop is a relativ- relatively new addition. So I'm suspecting that the project that as fast and as furious as Rancher Desktop is going, that'll have some uh, smoother experience for this soon. Podman uses a VM to run on macOS. Yeah, and that wasn't always the case. So that, that is, to me, uh, a new development in Podman and exciting for me to consider it's leaning under the hood. Yep. Yeah. So Rancher Desktop uses a lot of other projects and open source. So it's standing on the shoulder of giants. And I'm just excited that the team and the community uh, is getting behind it. If you have gone and looked at the uh, Rancher Desktop repo, it is fast and furious. (laughs) And then, and so because for a lot of people, It's going to become the new Docker desktop. They get to enjoy the hundreds, if not eventually thousands of issues that everyone will place because every little edge case isn't supported. So welcome, welcome to the pain, Rancher, and we appreciate you for all you do. So thank you so much for this wonderful open source and good luck. So there's all sorts of stuff happening. You can see the action in the issues daily. And it's clear that the community is getting behind it because if you go down here, you've already got 20 contributors and they just reached 1.0, right? So the fact that it has existed and in a world where we have so many other choices and it came out sort of last, I mean, in terms of all these on this list, I think it's the newest, but the fact that it's now claiming 1.0 and has so many features is pretty amazing actually. So bravo to them. Yeah, one more feature, handle Windows containers. I I really Okay, so here's the thing. Let's talk about Windows containers for just 1 second because I know most of us don't aren't affected by it, but Docker doesn't actually support the Windows container daemon anymore, as far as I know. So dockerd.exe is now maintained by Marantis, I believe. And so it's a weird time for exactly what that means for Windows containers and the potential support for third party. So right now, as far as I know, the only one of these that would support Windows containers is Docker Desktop. And... I, I don't know what the future is going to look like. Like, is, when, is Microsoft going to just put their own container runtime that's Docker equivalent? I know they have some underpinnings of it, but a command line shell and something that's nice. And you know, maybe just make the Hyper-V thing look like it's listing containers there and use that or whatever. Like I, I'm really kind of still today kind of shocked by Microsoft and how Windows has not, I felt like, innovated on the desktop for that i think they've just really leaned on docker desktop you know for forever but now that the licensing changes have happened i don't know if that means microsoft's going to come up with a new plan for how they're going to run oci containers on the desktop with a friendly cli and a a potential gui i I just don't it's weird i I feel like microsoft by now should have had something but i also know they've had a partnership with docker and that they've been working together on a lot of the windows stuff for a long time so there's that also, I should point out, here's another hot take, and I can say this only because Docker themselves have put it in a public a public issue, that tomorrow, the Docker desktop for Linux preview will be released. I know a lot of you are asking for that. So that is coming. It does not yet work on ARM64 for Linux, so the Raspberry Pis are out, but that's coming. I was told actually yesterday by the internal team that that is in the plan. It just won't be on day one of the preview. So look for an announcement from Docker. If you're running your own desktop Linux and you're still interested in Docker desktop, that that is coming. And the way that's gonna work is pretty exciting. It's actually gonna use a VM and not mess with your host because you can always use the Docker CLI with the host Docker daemon. But it's going to basically do like it does on Windows and Mac and it will do all that stuff. And the idea is there is it works as, as similar as possible to the way it works on Mac and Windows, which means a VM with a minimal, little tiny OS that's all containerized up and super efficient. I have a question here on image size. Can the base image base size be reduced by mounting the data inside the image on the host volume or NFS or using multi-stage builds? No, not by mounting. You can't really, that's not really a thing that you would want to do. But multi-stage builds, I mean, what your base image, you know, is kind of what it is. It would be, like if you were using the Ubuntu official image, That's, I don't know, 60 or 80 meg. And there's, I'm not sure that anything you can really do there to significantly reduce that. So if you, I'm not sure what you mean by base image, but usually the base image is where you start. So I've not seen someone, although it's totally possible, I suppose, to take the base image, delete a bunch of stuff out of it, then go to a scratch stage, a stage that starts from scratch, and then copy the remaining files into that new scratch stage. I suppose that's possible, but all the official images are so tiny already, and those those experts in those distributions are making them smaller all the time. So it's hard for me to imagine how you could get that smaller. I hope that helps. All right. Lima Bliss Nerd Control, never heard about it. Well, th- this is what you get for being here on the show. So uh, that is specifically Lima Nerd Control. It, Lima right now is kind of designed, it works on Linux, but it's really focused on Mac. So it's just trying to be another alternative. It's actually made by some of the people that are support and maintain Docker itself. So it's got a lot of the same underpinnings and you know, it uses container D underneath and nerd is becoming an increasingly popular tool for the command line. And it, it's meant to be Docker CLI compliant and whatever that might mean. <laughs> and it's also the default one that comes with Rancher. But now Rancher also includes Docker Daemon so you could potentially use a Docker CLI versus nerd control. And that's even, I think, more powerful. But at the same time, I still want nerd control to be loved and to be supported because we do sometimes want an alternative CLI. By the way, for those of you who weren't listening to me in September, talking about all this, none of the Docker open source licensing has changed. None of it. Every single piece of Docker open source is still open source today. What all that Docker did was for their private bits, right? So basically Docker desktop, the installer, and some of the pieces in it are all licensed now with a commercial license that has limitations based on the size and profit of your company. Okay. It is still, I think, an incredibly open license in terms of the ability for personal use, free use, you know, learning use, all that stuff. But don't worry about Docker CLI, Docker engine, the daemon. compose you know all those things are still fully open source and the license has not changed that's also why line number three on this is basically what if you just used the docker engine which is an apt that's known as the docker ce package docker d plus cli plus your kubernetes distro of choice right what if you just did that well you don't get a lot of the functionality uh, but it can work in wsl2 it can work on linux it does not work on anything mac so on mac because we have no built-in native Linux-compatible kernel, unlike WSL2 has on Windows, we we need something else. We need a minikube or a multipass or something like that or rancher desktop to give us that kernel, that Linux kernel that we have to run Docker on. That's why line three exists, is if you're on Linux, you already have an option and it's totally free. And, and far, as far as we know, it will always stay free. I don't think, uh, no one I've talked to at Docker has ever had any intention of changing the license of the existing open source. What about the the Kubernetes context management? Are you thinking of including that in? Oh, that's a great question. I'm not sure if that deserves its own feature because that would be, to me, that's part of the GUI. Like there is one for GUI management. I mean, you can always use the Kubernetes command line or kubectx to change the Kubernetes context. And then for a GUI, that's to me part, you know, maybe I should put a no- little note here that says control settings switch context, maybe manage containers, right? And Docker desktop does that very well. Rancher is coming along, but is pretty limited. It doesn't give you like an active list of workloads that I'm aware of. It does let you muck around with the images, but I look at it as more of a troubleshooting and setup configuration, right? It's got this great button for resetting Kubernetes. It's got images listed. It's got Kubernetes settings. So These are just really the settings, but this wonderful little reset button that I use all the time in Docker Desktop and also now here in Rancher Desktop, because sometimes rather than deleting a bunch of resources in a namespace, which sometimes can get really complicated, especially with hidden resources that aren't easily seen, it's really easy just to click a reset button and not completely wipe out the VM, although they have the factory reset button just like Docker Desktop. So pretty cool there. I still consider this mostly though a settings interface and not so much a day-to-day use which with Docker Desktop that's what they're trying to do right Docker Desktop is allowing you to jump into logs to jump into a shell to turn off containers or stop docker compose or do a prune or a cleanup of images and stuff like that or you know estimate the file size of all your images like do do all those things from one one GUI yeah and we have kubernetes guis out there so I'm not so much interested in these tools because we can always use lens and all all the other tools that exist as a GUI on Mac and Windows and Linux for managing Kubernetes visually. If you don't know about Lens, just go look up Kubernetes Lens. It's run by Mirantis, another great project and a great tool. Um, Currently investigating an issue with Rancher Desktop not loading an image built using containers and nerd control. And that's the thing, really, right? Like I think the Rancher Desktop community is going to probably spend the next year dealing with the rigor that Docker desktop has had to deal with for five years, right? All of the edge cases, all of the nuances, all of the ways that you can break this complicated setup, right? Making sure that it works over all the different VPN scenarios, which I know can be quite complex. I mean, there's a reason Docker desktop bought a unikernel company and has a, a large number of developers all focused on the Docker desktop. It is not an easy thing as referenced by their recent blog articles where they talk about all the stuff they're doing in the networking, it, it kind of blew my mind. Like there was so much going on there in the networking blog post that they posted. It's way, It seems way more complicated than you think it would need to be. But clearly they have their justifications for wanting to work on all VPN scenarios and all networks, you know, supporting HTTP proxy, which isn't in my list. I should probably put that in here, but supports HTTP proxy in the container. There's probably some other network edge cases supporting changing the default subnet so that it doesn't conflict with external subnets on your regular network, that's a thing that you have to honestly do a decent amount in Docker Desktop on corporate environments because they end up using a 1, 192.168 subnet that conflicts with the one in Docker Desktop. Anyway, so there's those kinds of scenarios that I think Rancher Desktop is going to be dealing with a lot, hence the 200 plus tickets that are still open. But as long as the community stays passionate about it and and you know it's not just two people alone in a room working on it part time. I think it it has it has the momentum to solve a lot of those problems so I'm excited about it. I thought Lima plus nerve control had M1 support. Yeah check that out and put a comment in there and I'll check it out and then validate it and then basically give it a thumbs up if that if that does work. I think when I, I last looked I didn't see anything in there about M1 but I also have it blank over on the spreadsheet so that maybe is meaning that I just forgot to check. all right. Also, oh, hello, DevOps Toolkit. So by the way, I'm just going to pimp this out real quick. Victor is a friend of mine, has a fantastic YouTube channel. If I just search on Rancher, uh, basically, he's got a whole bunch of videos that he's been doing for months on this exact topic, going through Rancher Desktop. And the challenge is now is that there's been so much changes, even just the last two or three months that uh, going and lot, watching the old videos, you learn a lot. But a lot of the the issues, and he's had a ton of chat in there. So I selfishly yesterday was looking through a lot of his YouTube chats, trying to figure out the potential issues that people are having with Rancher Desktop that I needed to basically put in this spreadsheet. So so some of the ideas I had for listing things here were issues that people were having like Docker command line compatibility with filters and all sorts of edge cases. So for those of you not aware of DevOps Toolkit on YouTube, definitely go check that out. I learn a lot. So hopefully we're all learning from each other as we should. All right. Yeah. And yeah, you can alias. That's There's a column there actually in that spreadsheet too. So whether or not that solution is aliasable to Docker, and then it will actually work. Like I know that Victor talked about the Kim executable, which is now no longer in Rancher desktop because they can just use Docker itself, but Kim is no longer there. It was a, a Rancher alternative for building, I think. And it wasn't really fully CLI compliance with Docker. So a lot of the commands you'd expect to work, just basic commands for managing images and containers from one CLI, wasn't there. But now with Nerd Control, we get a lot of that. But yeah, nerdcontrol.exe handles MS con- Microsoft containers thanks to MS Work On. Oh, OK. So does that mean my Microsoft Windows containers will work with Nerd Control EXE? that That's crazy. That's awesome. I'm assuming on the back end, it's still got to be Docker D.exe, though, right? Or does it have to be, or is there a container D.exe? There has to be because Kubernetes runs on. on Windows server. Perhaps a new column Kubernetes version, kube control version installed because connecting to a cluster must be plus, minus or plus two minor versions. Client if engine, if your cluster is not absolutely current. So, as far as I know, none of these control the Kubernetes CLI version. Now, one of the questions is, what about the kube control version? Because that's a problem if you're constantly changing server versions of the Kubernetes API. kube control's gotta be within one or two versions of that. With Docker, if you Docker desktop remember, we don't get to control the Kubernetes version. It just installs whatever the latest is that Docker then supports. And with that, they automatically update the kube control command line. With a lot of these other solutions, kube control is either installed with it and it's whatever version that's installed, or it is controlled separately because you just install it with the normal package manager. This is very true on Linux. Like if you do microkates on Linux, it doesn't even install kube control by default because microkates space cube control is the way that you would use it normally with microkates unless you go and manually get the cube control and then make a, a cube config and all that stuff. Right. So I think it's very dependent, but as far as I know, that's going to be a hard, I'm trying to think about how that would, how that would actually work. I'll, I'll consider that. <laughs> I'll consider that column because I'm not sure how relevant it is in a tool. If you change, let's see. If I change in kubernetes the version to like 116 does the kubernetes cli change with me the problem on my machine and there's going to be all these sort of considerations is my docker and kube commands are controlled by docker and it seems that the rancher desktop is not willing to override them also those of you on an m1 or really on a mac at all i'm not sure i don't think this is true on windows but if you're using rancher desktop you may have a permissions problem out of the box with the utilities. And let's see if I can let see if I can make this show. Yeah. So see this is on my M1 Mac. And basically what I have to go do is because this thing's not running as root, this GUI, right? And I guess there's no process in the background running as root. So in order for it to write over those, it has to have access to bin. And I my my M1 Mac is default, which means I have not gone and changed privileges on user local bin to allow write by my personal account now on my intel mac because i was always impatient those many years ago when i configured it my intel mac is like that i change back to that so that's potentially a complication that not every and not every developer is going to know what proper permissions on linux or mac that they need to do there It would probably be helpful to say, you know, use this command, (laughs) use this command to go and add permissions for your account or change permissions to your account or something like that. But I ran into that and I haven't changed it yet. So yeah, I'm just reading the comments real quick. Yeah. Yeah. Heard it here first. I wasn't supposed to tell anyone tomorrow, but, but they put it in a, in a public issue. If you go to the Docker roadmap in GitHub, you can follow along with all these issues in the Docker roadmap. And so you can see what new things and what stuff is happening in Docker desktop. Let me just show you show you that. If you just search GitHub Docker roadmap, you'll find this and inside this repo, anyone can file an issue in this repo and Docker will consider your request for a feature and then you can get all your friends to thumbs up it. I have done that with you several times. You all, you on this show, whenever I care about something, I mention it here and I ask you to go and thumbs up it simply so that my, my requests get more attention. It's never actually worked. But I've tried. I've tried, and thank you for your support and help with thumbs upping things. But in here, if you click on your projects, you can actually see a Kanban board on all the issues they're working on and things that they're you know starting to write code almost there. So you will see, you know that in here there is Linux implementation of Docker Desktop. So all of you can follow along with that issue, and I will just post this in chat. Is that a Lego stormtrooper on your wall? My goodness, you are you have got ninja eyes. Yes. That poster or is basically a micro like one of those micro cam, micro lenses or whatever you call it. I can never remember that, that term they use for making taking pictures of small stuff. And that's technically uh two Lego stormtroopers standing in front of a broken eggshell with salt, aka snow on the ground, and then it's done by a local artist, basically. So my wife bought that for me. And it's one of my favorites. I'm curious to how long it took you to figure that out because it doesn't look like anything to me. I I can't tell. It's blurred out by the bokeh effect. Lima Control Start does it for Mac. It creates a mini Linux version on Mac. Vert Lima really can be compared to WSL2 for container D. Nice. Kube vert. Yeah, we can throw Kube vert in there and and uh, actually we might do this just so it gets all of the. Same formulas and things as the other ones. KubeVert, line 12. Volume administration, no, they're in Rancher Desktop, I, I guess it depends on what you're talking about. Volume administration in terms of Kubernetes, then yes, because you have the kube control API. And uh, Docker Desktop, assuming if you're talking about Docker, then with Rancher Desktop, if you change it to, if it's on container D, then you can use nerd control. If it's on the Docker daemon setup that's the new option, then you can use your local Docker command line. So I assume yes in all cases. When you use it yes, when you build a Docker image using NerdControl with well, the image will be built without without a name. Yeah. Docker desktop seems to be conflicting with my setup for VirtualBox and Windows features. So that's a challenge on Windows in general is that if you're trying to run two different virtualization solutions at the same time, you will have problems. Unfortunately, Ambrose, I can't get into that now, but that is a basically Unless someone knows better, I thought that VirtualBox worked side-by-side with both Hyper-V now and WSL2, as long as you're on the latest VirtualBox. If someone, someone else probably knows better in chat, but that used to be a big deal, I thought it was fixed. Maybe not. Docker Desktop plus Kubernetes or Docker Desktop plus AWS for deploying Docker images. Umberto, none of the stuff we're doing today is about deployment, right? This is all about local machine work. And I didn't want to have the scope so broad that it was any tool possible from dealing with containers, right? It really was about things on my local machine. So there's obviously all sorts of other tools that allow you to, re, you know, develop remotely or deploy to a remote solution. Like those things all exist, and I see them as a different part of the tool set. Now some of these tools may have a few of those features, like the new Docker Compose can deploy to AWS or to Azure. But I feel like it's muddying the waters a little bit if we start talking about that area in terms of remote. Capabilities. And maybe that's a different show. Maybe that's a different spreadsheet where we talk about that. Conrad saying, recommend you contributing to the project. I'm assuming you're talking about Rancher Desktop, but yeah. If the application base image size is 398 megs and the custom image built on top of the base image gets to be 650, and we would like to get the data out such that the base image size gets reduced. I don't know how you're going to do that. I mean, basically, if your base image is big, your base image is big. And The best you can do is to use Dive or another tool to dig into the layers and figure out what files are in them and whether you can delete them. And then you would use multi-stage to sort of delete them and then make a new scratch image. And it gets really, really complicated. So the the best thing you can do is to look at your application dependencies and see what's taking up all the space. And a tool like Dive, D-I-V-E, can help you do that. There's another GUI tool that I can't seem to find. Contains.dev. I knew somebody would figure it out. Not containers. It actually showed up in my browser but i kept typing the end of containers so you can pull an image let's look at uh php and so i can pull down that and it will show me where all the layers are where where the space is in the layers what files are in the layers and i can get a sense for what's really going on in the size of my container and from there it's basically ninja foo like you've got to figure out how do i get rid of those files how do i delete them if it's a base image make maybe you make your own custom base image and that that means you got to become an expert and support that but it gets really complicated really fast so good luck <laughs> there is no quick easy fix for any of that looking to, for more questions here really VirtualBox st- or hyper-v still doesn't support accelerated graphics i gpu stuff i i just assumed it would yeah so i just learned about this Colima. I just learned about that today, actually, reading through the Lima website or the Lima GitHub repo about Colima. I will have to check that out. We should probably add it to the list. It's evidently a place. Yeah. So what we're talking about is Colima container runtimes on macOS and Linux with minimal setup. Anyway. So yeah, that's a pretty cool one. It looks, looks like it has potential, but I so maybe I'll put that on the spreadsheet. So once you change the Docker D, a relatively new feature in Rancher Desktop, then my, my Docker Desktop is running the CLI, but it's not, but I'm not running Docker Desktop. I just have the CLI installed. So if I do a Docker image LS, it now shows me all of the Rancher images. And if I do a Docker image, a Docker context LS, this is something that Nuno clued me in on. So it's still using my default, and that is using the var run sock on my Mac, which is what Docker Desktop would normally do. But now that I'm running Docker Daemon with Rancher Desktop, it just uses that same socket file. I guess that's great for convenience. It would be nice if I could run side by side, but I can see why I, in this case I can't. But there we go. So now I've got instant Docker c- command line capabilities, and I'm assuming it's running, you know, Docker info would, Help me or Docker version would help me see that the server is, you know, one patch version behind Docker Desktop, right? So we're basically sort of proving here that it is indeed using the the, the Rancher Desktop, and hurrah, yeah, that's pretty awesome. So we're we're slowly whittling down the major concerns around Rancher Desktop compatibility. And I imagine over time, like we're, we're seeing the totals here on the spreadsheet, imagine over time that Rancher Desktop will get closer and closer and closer to Docker Desktop. Of course, Docker themselves are not going to stop innovating. So as they find out more things like dev Dev containers, other things they're going to do with integration with Hub, those might be things I need to add to this list because if they get to be popular options and I hear my students and, and customers all using it, then I will certainly want to add it. Use Katakoda as a build tool. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you could totally do that or play with Docker, some sort of remote, remote build tool, but that's the thing, right? I mean, there, if we considered remote options for building or running or devving, like it just, the, this would be 200 lines in the spreadsheet, right? We'd have so much stuff here. So I, I had to narrow it down to just local host stuff in order to do that. Yeah. Same level all in well. And that's, that's the thing is Docker desktop has been around for at least five years. And before that they were using Docker toolbox. So they already had they knew the problem set really well. And then they hired a company of experts to help them with creating VPN kit and data kit and some of the lower level stuff. They got this unikernel thing going on. They've got a lot of custom work in there and intellectual property. So it it will take to be end to end feature for feature. It will take someone else, you know, a similar level of effort. I think a lot of the things nowadays we're lucky because a lot of the things have been solved problems and a lot of these tools if not all of them are already using some docker components out of the box you know they're using some parts of moby or Containerd, d which essentially was gifted by docker to the community along with some other community, community uh, developers in the maintainers list but there is docker tech in every one of these so if you're someone who and i don't know that there's anyone i've not talked to anyone like this but if you're someone who's absolutely anti any docker code i don't know why you would be that person but if you were I don't know that you can use any of this stuff. Like all this stuff in here is going to have lines of code written by Docker's employees in it at some point, which really just talks about the power and universal abstractions that Docker has created. The VPN kit I know is well-used. HyperKit, I'm not sure how much people are using DataKit, but LinuxKit, LinuxKit's still very popular, used by SAS's other command line tools, other systems. So a lot of this stuff really is just Docker donating tech and then other people coming up with better solutions. And that's why it's fun to revisit this now, six months later, is because, you know, Docker had such a great tool. A lot of these tools didn't need to exist, and people weren't terribly motivated in solving the same problem over again. You know, luckily, Docker's now making money, which is a great thing. I want Docker to stay around. I don't want them as a company to evaporate because they couldn't figure out a viable business model. So I, for one, was nervous about them asking for money for Docker Desktop. I wasn't all thumbs up, but at the same time, it sounds like it's going well. So let's hope we hear from them, you know, they're not public. So we don't know anything about financials or anything like that, but it would be nice to hear that, Hey, they're making a profit and they are going to be around for the long term. And that would be great. I would love to know that because for eight years now, we've all been worried that it just, at one point may just go away and be blown up in smoke and, you know, acquired by some company for a small fraction and then basically turn it into a different product. So I do want them to stay around. I do want them to make money on their Docker desktop. And I do like the idea of truly fully open source alternatives that aren't super hard to use. A lot of these tools have existed for a long time, but to try to use them in replacement has always been a very substandard uh, experience. And I think now this is kind of challenging the ecosystem to come up with alternatives. And I love it. Um, Yeah, Multipass works with Apple Silicon. Um, That is listed on here, I think. Oh, yes. Yes. So I'm going to put that, let me fix that. A lot of these, I'm not actually sure. I'm going to have to, i am got a feeling that a lot of these are just going to check that box on it, but right now. So like, for example, on Minikube, one of the complexities is when it runs, it runs using QEMU and it runs the AMD version on my M1. So I haven't done performance testing with Minikube. It is one of the more complete options. I think this total for Minikube will go up as I, as we get more feedback and test more things. Again, if you have experience with something add a comment. Any of you should be able to add a comment. If you know something is true or if you have a link, put it there in the comment and then I can go and research just to be another person to validate it and then put the checkbox in. And then that way I'm not doing all this work, right? Like The, the goal here is a community effort to try to help guide people toward a decision without reading 20 blog articles and wasting two hours on tooling that they maybe could never use to begin with, but they didn't know that because it's not obvious. And Trust me. I've been reading all the blog articles, watching all the videos, and this stuff over the last six months has changed so much that everything's outdated. Like this spreadsheet is the only hope because the video you're watching is about to be outdated tomorrow when Docker Desktop announces Linux and uh, Linux version. And now it's outdated. You know this video is outdated because I don't have a demo or I can't talk about it. This is going to happen, right? This this is going to get outdated. So I'm hoping this spreadsheet will live on after this call and that I'll come back to it here in a couple of months and maybe we'll do a quick revamp. Maybe not a whole show on it. What are the comments we got? Any other questions? So I have Rancher and Docker Desktop both installed on the same machines, both an M1 Mac and an Intel Mac. I'm about to put it on on a Windows Intel and I haven't I haven't got my my ARM Windows Windows for ARM. I haven't got that set up yet, so that's that's gonna be on my new laptop that I got. But yes, they, they don't run, I don't think, in parallel at the same time. And I don't know why you would want to do that with any of these things. You want to run one virtualization management solution at a time, ideally. But they can both be installed. I have them both installed. If you go back 10 minutes, we were just dealing with my dumb issues with Rancher Desktop, not working with Docker, Daemon, but it works now. So no problems. Why does Rancher Desktop need a VM for Linux? On Mac and Windows, it's always going to need something. On Windows, it can be a WSL2, which is technically still a VM, but it's a very native focused VM, so it's really high performance. On Mac... Everything has to run on a Linux kernel. So you need a Linux kernel in a Linux VM. Even if it's a tiny little Linux kit VM, it still has to be there. That's a a great question. Yeah, the GPU stuff too. We're talking about the graphics stuff on Windows. And I'm, I'm just not a GPU workload tester. So I know that a lot of people are, and that's a big deal for them. But I'm just not one to be able to validate those configs, especially because a lot of my stuff is all running in VMs already. So nested VMs to test the GPU compatibility maybe isn't the best way to do all of that. But a lot of my stuff is either virtualized on a Mac or virtualized on a Windows server because I got a Windows server sitting in my closet that runs a whole bunch of workloads for me. But yeah, I don't have like a Windows bare metal other than that Windows server. So it sometimes is a problem for me to test some of those hardware things. Remember everyone, you can add comments if you'd like. Comments are encouraged on this spreadsheet. Just right-click and you'll see the comment option. Even if you're not logged in, you should be able to add a comment as anonymous. If you're an anonymous person, you when you right-click, you only see the comment option in like one or two other things. And then those of you that are maintainers or uh, evangelists or people that are particularly passionate about one of these, and you know a lot of the answers and you want to get involved, DM me somewhere else and I will get you in as a full right access and we can make this thing usable and valuable to the community, and maybe someday turn it into a shorter video in a blog post that complement it or something. And feel free to share this around to others if you think that it would be valuable. Obviously, it'll be more valuable once we have more of these blocks filled in. But I've kind of been wanting this for a while, was kind of hoping someone else would do the work, but here I am, volunteering more of my time. So I would appreciate any help you all can, can give here. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny because now that I've adopted GitHub Actions for all my open source, I I don't actually do a ton of local building unless I'm testing my creation of the Docker file. Once I get the Docker file to function, I tend to just ship it off to my repo and then it'll auto build. It'll load up to GitHub Container Registry as well as Docker Hub. You know, it does all those things. So yeah, honestly, it's funny. I never thought I would say that I don't build and push a lot locally, but I really don't. I don't even know the last time I did a Docker push. It was a while ago because again, Everything automated in CI. So if you're curious about that stuff, go to my GitHub. I got tons of stuff in my GitHub now about all of the GitHub actions examples, using Docker, using automated linting with super linter. I've talked a lot about that over the last decade, decade, over the last year, as I've adopted super linter and GitHub actions for all of my projects, including my courses, which are now using that stuff to test changes, lint everything test images, stuff like that. Yeah, I put BuildKit as a column in here because I believe so strongly in the awesomeness of BuildKit and uh, most other third-party builders end up actually using it behind the scenes anyway nowadays rather than retooling and rebuilding the entire way that an image is working. And as we start to see experiments of people showing ways to build a Docker image without using a Docker file or a container file, like just a totally different format, BuildKit supports all of that because it's a very generic build tool. It's not just for building Docker images. So (laughs) right now, it's funny, BuildKit doesn't necessarily come out of the box with Docker Daemon on Linux, but Docker has submitted questions to the public, basically asking for comments or reasons why they wouldn't want to do that. Why? Basically the future is likely that when Docker is installed on Linux, it will have BuildKit out of the box. It'll have Compose out of the box and these will all be plugins enabled by default and once that happens you will get a much more consistent experience regardless of whether you're using docker desktop and which os you're using right because i like the idea that all the tools at the end of the day are using something efficient and well supported like buildkit with tons of functionality and parallelism you know it skips empty or unused stages it does all this stuff that's really great supports ssh agents the list goes on and on. Experimental stuff. Building locally is still important to me, even though I don't do it as near as often. So I th- put that column in there because I think that's that's a relevant thing for most people, even though they may not realize it. They just they just do a build command and they just expect it to work, but they don't realize under the scenes how complicated. Um, do I have a home lab set up, self hosting lab? Yeah, so I do. I do some of that. I, I though I tell you that my lab my lab is often DigitalOcean because I have credits from them and I'm I'm now a a DigitalOcean navigator, which I guess means I get swag and I talk about DigitalOcean, but I like it for its simple simple setup, super fast to create instances. So I create droplets there every week, it seems like. And I spin up the machine the size I need it, I use it, and then I throw it away. So I I have Linux, Windows 10, Windows 11, Windows Server. I have all that stuff in my closet, my home lab. I have a Raspberry Pi at home. I've got multiple Macs. I've got half, half a dozen Macs probably. So I have a lot of that stuff at home, but increasingly I use more and more of the cloud because I either want something fast, like I want 10 cores instead of my slow server with a you know seven-year-old Intel chip in it. So yeah, so I, I tend to use DigitalOcean for labbing just because I don't have to deal with the complexity of Azure or AWS and it spins up machines really, really fast. And it includes, and it's easy to just sort of use that one page or a single one-line command to create the VMs and DigitalOcean. So I do that. Why would someone not use BuildKit, anything which supports them, which are missing? I mean, there's there's other builders that do other things that maybe don't make an image the same way that Docker does. So I suppose there's other reasons to use it. I haven't run into any of those. I'm sure someone's got opinions and someone probably knows in the chat, but I just don't know. I, I've always used BuildKit after, ever since it was in early beta. So I think it was like 2017 when they told us that BuildKit was coming and that they'd been working on it for years. And we were, I was fascinated because of the, the, the architecture of it was really well done and they really thought about the problem hard. And it's now using a lot of tools. So yeah, Linode's pretty fast too. I want to get more into the bare metal options, Equinox and stuff. So that might be my next environment that I play around with. What benefits of Docker Desktop for Windows will bring us I've been using Docker on Linux for a couple of years. Seems already working pretty fine. Well, so basically just look at the spreadsheet. I hate to say that because it sounds, oh, I have to sign back in again. That's weird. But, uh, if we look at the spreadsheet, like basically what I did on the top row was I listed all the things that Docker desktop does or what I wished it did. And then everything else has to compete with that. So right now Docker desktop is the golden standard. If you just scroll right, you'll see, I try to comment on each one of the headers for what I'm really talking about. You know, like, what does localhost really mean? What does bind mount perf mean? Relative performance, essentially, when you bind mount code in. For example, on Linux, because it's Linux and you're on the host with Linux and you're running Docker on the same host, there is no performance degradation on bind mounting because it's pure native performance. I imagine that uh, WSL2 could also be considered near native performance, especially, ideally, if your code is in the Linux VM. in in WSL2. I put the question mark here for Docker Desktop because Macs still kind of suffer, Windows suffers a little bit if you're not putting your code in the Linux VM. So it's a little bit of a gotcha with the code performance on bind mounts. And of course, because these are cross OSs, if you ever do things like bind mount a database, you end up with just random problems and performance issues and errors, and it might even not work. It might crash. Yeah. So there's that kind of stuff. And if you just keep going, yeah, there's all the features that I really love and enjoy. And the people that I work with all use, that's where that came from. A Docker desktop for Linux will just give you that same experience on Windows or Mac, where it will create a VM in Linux. It'll manage everything through the VM so that you don't have to worry about Docker daemon running on your host all the time, because that's what it would do by default. The system d would ins- You would install it on your host, and systemd would always run Docker d. And so you might forget that, Linux containers are still running in the background, right? With with Linux Docker Desktop, it'll be in a VM so that when you quit Docker Desktop, it truly shuts down Docker, it shuts down the VM, it's all contained in that VM and it doesn't mess with your host machine. I what I don't know yet is if it's actually running as root because one of the advantages and I don't know this yet, but it might be that you can just do it with user privileges and you don't necessarily have to have host privileges. But I got a feeling that's not true because there's some fancy networking that goes on there. You probably need sudo, but it's probably going to ask you to do that as well. I don't know because I haven't tested it yet. Again, we'll find out tomorrow. Docker might even do a live stream. I don't know. I haven't asked them, but they should on on the announcement and we just do a a live stream for it. Yeah, that's why I, I, I agree with you on the load balancer. That's why I added the column for Kubernetes load balancer. Like it'd be nice if I could use a universal load balancer with all all setups and I didn't have to worry about which ports are available with node ports and to change my service types and whatnot or to worry about something like metal lb so it isn't I like that docker desktop has it and it I don't know how much work it is if it's a custom controller I'm assuming it has to be yeah I I, I can't imagine that everyone will do that but it is a nice bonus and most people don't even know about it in docker desktop that you can use service type load balancer and that docker will make it work on your localhost ip and it just works Well, it'd be more costly to run. Well, sure. Yeah, absolutely. And that's the thing is on Linux, you have choice, right? So you can, if you want to run the Docker daemon on the host, you've been doing that for years. If you want to run K3S or microkates on the host, you can do that right now. You can run the, the Kubernetes Lens app as a GUI to manage your local Kubernetes. You can do all that. But I think Docker Desktop is for those that want more than just that. They want another option, which is using a VM, having the same GUI, and also and bigger companies with bigger teams, more importantly, getting a consistent experience, right? Because as Docker Desktop adds those advanced features, like the GUI with the the prune and the de- the dev environments and, and some of the, I don't know, future, future efforts they're going to probably put into that. And also just being able to wipe it away, wiping away all containers, all images, resetting the factory defaults. That's another really great thing of Rancher Desktop and Docker Desktop. And that is important to me because I'm constantly breaking and testing things. And I always, even when I'm deploying a Helm chart, there are always going to be those resources that sneak into my Kubernetes environments that I don't fully get rid of when I delete the namespace or I do a Helm uninstall. So the resets are always great. And MicroK8s has that, I think, out of the box, but Docker doesn't. Docker doesn't really have a reset. It has prune, but not really the same thing. Yeah, Docker desktop had pluggable CNI. So that's the thing is that the snap, sorry, the there's a big set of pull requests Force Swarm to have CNI support, which technically means that Docker would have CNI support, as far as I know. And I just don't know where that's at. Like, I don't. I mean, Docker hasn't had a major release, so maybe that's the thing. Is they're just waiting on all the PRs to be fleshed out, and then they're going to announce that Docker itself has CNI support as well as Swarm. I don't know. I've been holding out hope on that for two years now, and I just haven't. It hasn't happened. I don't know what the issue is. So I can understand if Docker doesn't want to. Work more on swarm because they don't really have a swarm team anymore, and that's not their focus. But it would be cool if the Docker, the volumes were able to support CNI drivers, and how that would, you know, I I think that would really give Docker life on the server again a little bit for really small environments that don't need an orchestrator. But I just don't know how much Docker cares about that anymore. They're all about Docker deploying to the cloud APIs, not so much to a Docker engine. So yeah. All right, everyone, we have been going almost two hours. So I'm going to wrap this up. Uh, and thanks so much, Nuno, for all the help. The last minute, I really appreciate that. And the Rancher Desktop team for getting some of the answers. I look forward to more videos from others on this because I think that now that Rancher Desktop has announced you know, GA and 1.0, I think we're going to get a lot, even more support and more action, more people talking about it and come up with an alternative for those that can't use what I still consider the number one tool, Docker Desktop. I have no plans to get rid of Docker Desktop, but I also know that Rancher Desktop is a cool thing. So I want to check it out. All right. Thank you, everyone, for being here. I, su- I love everyone that supports uh, this channel, whether it's through Patreon or through helping me in my open source or through buying my courses. I mean, you all are great. You're a great community, and I'm glad to be a part of it. Ciao, everyone. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll see you in the next episode.